Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Tine. My name is Taylor Payne, and I am joined by George Coggan and Chris Woff, as always. How are we doing, chaps? Are we good? Very well, thank you. Yes, how are you? I'm not too bad. Excellent. Coming up this week on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, Miguel Almiron and the recent quotes coming from his agent. And we've also got a lovely mailbag special where Chris is going to empty his sack all over our desk, and we shall forage through the contents for gold. How does that sound, chaps? Uh, well, he didn't let me answer how I was, and now now that's my because I'm not interested, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> now, how are you, Chris? How are you doing? Are you okay? I'm all right, thank you. Yes, not not too bad. Obviously, delighted at the prospect of Newcastle United playing again this weekend. So I know it, it just didn't seem the same without crushing disappointment the weekend, did it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been looking for uh, it's, well, looking forward to it. It's like we've just had an absolute cultural desert of a week. I mean, I've I've been off for a few days, and that's been fine. But I mean. All these international games, I've got no idea why anybody's playing anybody else. Is it a friendly? Is it a League of Nations? Is it United Nations? Is it European Championship? I don't know what it is anymore. I can't. You, when Newcastle play, it's really terrible, and then when they don't play, it's somehow worse. Yeah, this this week has been. I mean, I, I find is that the, the whole international for the football. Yeah. <laughs> I find the whole international football thing at the minute completely pointless. To be honest, I have no idea why they're playing the games, especially friendlies. It just well, seems like a them. complete. It seems like a complete waste of time. Anyway, without getting bogged down in all that, um, we're going to start. I was going to say without getting bogged down in negativity, and then we'll start with some quotes from Miguel Almiron's uh, agent, who's come out in the press this week and made some very interesting statements with regards to his client and his uh, his future. This is a weird one, Chris, isn't it? Well, it is a weird one. Only. I would caveat that by Daniel Campos, who is his agent, does occasionally go on Paraguayan radio, and when he does, he <laughs> tends to speak quite openly. And, I mean, we haven't had this sort of thing in international breaks for a little while, not really since sort of Musa Sissoko era, Newcastle United, uh, Johan Kabai as well, whereby as soon as the players went away and at national duty, usually the players themselves would, would suddenly uh, declare that they wanted to play for a Champions League club or be elsewhere, but... It was interesting to hear or to read the, the comments which were translated by uh, Roberto Rojas, who is um, a Paraguayan-American journalist. I'm sure many, many Newcastle fans have seen him on social media, and he, he'd listened yes. to them. And basically, what his agent is saying is that if a pandemic hadn't happened, Miguel Almiron would no longer be at Newcastle United. And the implication is he would have left this summer. Strong suggestions from him that he will leave next summer. Um, mm. talks of Atletico Madrid interest, mentions big Premier League club interest as well, and also talks about uh, Almiron playing out of position, essentially, as he has been the last yeah. few weeks in midfield, and, and really adding to the disquiet, which has sort of been bubbling under the surface over the last few weeks. It is it is classic international break fair, isn't it? As Chris says, it kind of it's sort of one of the things that always used to happen. Player goes away on international duty, speaks to the media away, sort of... 
bats eyelashes at other clubs, comes back, says he's been taken out of context, and uh, kind of <laughs> yeah. we all forget about it. I mean, in this, in this, on this occasion, it's obviously his agent as opposed to the player himself. I mean, I suppose it's one of those things that this has also been the club that Newcastle are and have been over the past few years. They've been somewhere that Chris, you know, talk, rightly talked about people like. Uh, Sissoko and stuff like that is that it it was set up as a stepping stone club and getting from that into being and let, I, mean, I suppose you can say let's face it most clubs in the Premier League would be that as you know as compared to say Man City or or Liverpool or whatever but you know Newcastle have have been like that they're not going to finish in the top six they're not mm. going to finish in the top four they're probably not going to challenge for trophies and so. They give you a platform, and then somewhere down the line, you you move on to bigger things. That's just been the way the club's been run and set up. Um, and I did, you know, ideally Newcastle would make a profit on those players. If Newcastle want to be something else, you know, that's that's kind of what we all want. Are they capable of that? Well, they're sort of sitting in thirteenth place, which is the position that we expect them to be in under Mike Ashley if they're not sort of in trouble. So it is that dilemma for a club like Newcastle. You know, how do you kick on? How do you improve? I'm sure that's something that we'll be talking about later with, with our mailbag questions. Yeah, what I will what I will just say just quickly is it's 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 interesting when you read through the quotes where his agent is referencing things like teams that have a lot of possession. Perhaps he would like to play on a team that has a lot of possession. Maybe in June he'll make that jump is one of the quotes. And I mean, I, th- I think personally, I don't think Steve Bruce is getting the best from Miguel Almiron at the moment. I think he's uh, curtailing his effectiveness a little bit and he's not playing it with strengths. He seems to be playing him out of position when he does play him. Uh, and, and I think I'm not surprised if the lads are getting frustrated and honestly and I don't know if you guys agree with this but I, I wouldn't begrudge him a move away I think he's he's given his all for Newcastle and I think fair play kid if you want if you want to go off and, and, and play for a, for a Champions League club or whatever you, you, you go looking for it you know I'd, I honestly wouldn't have a problem if he left in January I think I just think well that's it that's the that's the way this club is we're not geared up to try and keep our best players I find Elmeron one of the hardest players to analyze and before I get into sort of how Steve Bruce is using him just as, as a player you, you always see him on the pitch because he, he works so hard he, he offers so much industry but does he actually do the material does he provide the material end product now we saw towards the end of last season that he did for a period but obviously it, it went he went 20 odd games or whatever it was at the start of his Newcastle career without an assist or a goal He's really, really quick, but is he too quick for his own good sometimes in terms of does his, do his feet operate before his brain does? And when he gets into the into the final third, mm. does he make the correct decision? And and so when when his agent talks about these big clubs, and I know that Arsenal looked at him in the past, I don't know if it's Arsenal now, but I know, I know they did look at him in the past. I wonder, is he is Almiron actually, is he Champions League level? I'm not quite, I don't know what level Miguel Almiron actually is. I know that the Newcastle hierarchy, when Benitez really pushed from, weren't convinced either. And that was one of the reasons why the deal dragged on for so long and they had a certain value that they were willing to pay from. And is at least the initial contract that they offered him was incentive based as well. So that it was, you, you need to yeah. prove yourself. And then 
if you're as good as you think that you are and, and, and as this deal suggests that you are, you will get the remuneration for that because you will show yourself mm. to be that good. And I don't think he's ever fully convinced. I, I think part of the reason behind that is where he has been played and the way that Newcastle play. I do agree that it doesn't suit attacking players. It doesn't suit someone of Almiron's style, certainly not over the last 18 months under Steve Bruce. But I'm, And I really like Almiron, but I just don't know. I, I, I find it difficult to know what his actual level is. I don't know how good he actually is and whether he is really sort of top six quality let's let's jump into these mailbag questions otherwise we'll get ourselves off on a off on a, uh, a run of uh, of going back and forwards but we'll we'll start with this mailbag question about Almiron from Johnny S and he said Almiron looks much more dangerous for country than club is there anything Steve Bruce can do to get more out of him besides actually starting him of course and that's from Johnny S George what do we think hello Johnny S thank you well I mean obviously that's starting him as the is the is the kind of important bit really isn't it and We've talked countless times about how Bruce is scratching around, trying to find a system and a team and an 11 that works and that works for just more than one or two games in a row. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? We were Obviously, I wasn't on the pod last week. It was great listening to Tom Orville chat about some of the stats and analytics behind Newcastle starts the season and last season. Really interesting. But one of the things that we've talked about repeatedly is it's that boom and bust. I mean, that's far too extreme um, way of describing what's happening. But that thing of getting a system, getting a style, getting a list of personnel and then sticking with it for a couple of games and then things going tits up, which they do. So getting the best out of the players that Newcastle have is just something that hasn't happened yet. And yeah... It was surprising to see Almiron not start the season in a regular fashion because I think we all thought that he would and that yeah. you know Newcastle had got themselves a front five or however many it is that sort of actually looked pretty threatening and pretty decent. So that was kind of a surprise. One of the really fascinating things from last week was Tom saying that, you know, I, I think we we talked about how Newcastle looked to be set up as a counter-attacking team. You know, that that's what that appears to be their best way of yeah. uh, moving forward. And Tom was actually saying that they're not, a, you know, they're not doing it. They're not counter-attacking. Yeah. They're slower than they were last season, which seems sort of very strange. Perhaps that's partly because Almiron hasn't been in the team. Um, you know, Newcastle certainly aren't built around Almiron, but he is a frustrating player. I, I kind of tend to agree with Chris in some ways that he's not, he's not the finished article I couldn't see him moving to a Champions League team at this stage uh, personally. You know, I don't think it's like someone like Kabai who joined Newcastle and I know that he didn't join a Champions League team in the end, but, you know, you sort of thought, hmm, we're, we're going to do well to hang on to to him. He's so, you know, he's so talented or so, you know, so good. I don't quite see that with Almiron yet, but you do. I do think a team like Newcastle should be able to get more out of somebody who has that blistering pace. Yeah. It does help the team get up the pitch but it's part of this seems to be this just absolute restlessness on behalf of the squad and the management staff in terms of settling on a system it just isn't happening again my belief is that Newcastle look better when he's in the team and and firing and he hasn't been this season Chris we've seen Miguel Almiron at his best when he's played either on the left hand side of that of that midfield front midfield three or in behind the striker as a number 10 would you would you agree and say that those are his best positions and currently how he's being utilized by Bruce is not getting the not getting the best out of him yeah I'd I'd agree with that I, I like him 
either as a number 10 or in the previous system towards the last the, the latter part of Rafa Benitez's era when he came in and, and, and was in that on the left-hand side of a, I don't know yeah. if you call it front three or the two, almost two number 10s being the striker, I think is more probably more accurate to describe it. Mm. I, like, I like Almiron when he has a more defined role. I think that giving him a free role I, I think that he, he struggles to, to, to know exactly what he's going to do. When I was saying before about decision-making, if you tell him that, that I want you to be number 10, I want you to be the one who is driving at defences and you're playing those little passes, and that's when I think he's his most effective, when he's given that sort of, this is exactly how we want you to play and this is what you can do. And then I think that there's just more clarity and more uh, decisiveness to what he does. So that that's where I'd like to see him play more. But whether Newcastle as a team will benefit from that in terms of all-round balance of the side is another question entirely, I suppose. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because you you risk kind of uh, having to move around the team completely just to to sort of placate uh, Almiron and, uh, and to put him into his favourite position. Of course, Sir Maximan's playing in that number 10 role at the moment, which means that Almiron could play on the left-hand side, I suppose, but it, we're not playing that kind of formation now. So... It, it's a strange one because I'll, Sam Maximan, it seems to be the team moves around depending on where he wants to play uh, and we have to kind of accommodate him. I get that. He's probably our, our most dangerous player. But the strange shape that we're, that we're using at the minute, this five, whatever it is, I can't really get my head around the, the shape, the five, two. What is it, Chris? It's five, sort of a five, three, one, one. Five, three, one, one. It's yeah. like five, one, two, one, one almost. Yeah. Four four two clever by half. <laughs> yeah, it does, I mean it doesn't work for me. It's not working. Well, it worked. I worked. It, that's the, this is the thing, though. It worked briefly, and you know, Steve Bruce talked about shoring things up. You know, we've been con- conceding too many goals, conceding too many chances, so we shore things up. So they shored things up. They looked okay. You know, they looked all right at Wolves, and then who was the home game against Everton? And they, you know, they won that game. And then, you know, they're just just dreadful at Southampton. But it's that's what's happened repeatedly. It's happened repeatedly over the last 18 months or so. They're lurching not quite from disaster to disaster, but more or less. It's like you reach a disaster, yeah. you, 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 you get a terrible result, and then he'll change the formation, he'll change the team to shore things up. I'm not saying that's all his fault, because I think, you know, Isaac Hayden talked to us about needing... You know, the players having to grasp responsibility on the pitch to sort of say enough is enough. We can't let this happen. And they're not doing it. But equally, it is down to the manager and the coaching staff to select a formation and then, you know, to try and to try and stick Mm. with it. Because this is just lurch to lurch to lurch. You know, they're a team of lurchers. Following on from that point, George, really, are Bruce and his team capable of introspection? Is uh, Bruce the tactics guy or does he lean on someone in particular from his coaching staff? Um, and this is Will B saying this as well. I've never had much of an impression of who does what under Bruce's coaching staff. I'm wondering if you had any insight into how his team works. It's also okay if there is no insight because the height of Newcastle's coaching analysis is what colour to print the Excel spreadsheet pinned to the notice board every Monday morning about whose turn it is to put the cones out. Ooh, scathing. Do we have any insight on on Bruce's uh, backroom staff and how they work and what their jobs are? Yeah, I mean, Steve Bruce isn't a kind of clipboard manager. That's not the job he does. Um, You know, Benitez was much more like that, much more of a sort of coaching man on the training pitch. He was more of a head coach, really, and Steve Bruce is kind of more of a manager. And Steve Agnew is the force when it comes to, to coaching, and he's got a very, very good reputation sort of within the game, I'm not just talking about what Steve Bruce would say about him, but people yeah. who've 
uh, played under him at, at Borough where he was and he was at Hull as well I think under Bruce wasn't he and he does have a good reputation and he does that you know Steve Harper's someone that I know very well and love and like and admire and incredibly intelligent fella and he you know serves as uh, as well as being on the on the on the coaching pitch, he kind of liaises between the different sections of the club, trying to link up with the age groups. He's the manager's eye in the stand during matches. I mean, you know, I think the easy thing to do is to portray it all as not being efficient or or, or not working. I mean, I don't think it's the calibre of the coaches. Are they capable of introspection? Yeah, they. I think they are. It doesn't help the way the team play, you know, that, and it doesn't, the fact it does feel like they're sort of constantly searching for answers doesn't help because they aren't finding them. They're not. They're certainly not finding long-term answers, and that doesn't reflect well on them. I don't think that's a you know. I don't think that's sort of a harsh criticism. I think that needs to happen. I mean, I suppose you can argue the fact that they're routinely changing things shows that they're capable of changing. It's not that they're not prepared to be yeah. flexible. You do need to be flexible. You need to change with the circumstances and so on and so forth. But it just hasn't worked yet. You answer one question in the team and it just serves to pose two or three questions elsewhere. I mean, last season, a lot of that was to do with really bad recruitment. You know, Jalinton, the obvious one. Last season, the coaching staff had to had to try and find solutions to Jalinton. And I don't think there was a solution last season. And so this summer has been a bit about correcting mistakes and trying to find more balance. On the face of it, it looks like it should be there, but we're not seeing it. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Chris, this one's for you. Alex M asks, do you feel that the hierarchy at NUFC have their finger on the pulse and are aware of the current mood within the supporter base around the sides style of play? And Alex has said, it is genuinely the worst football I've ever witnessed us play, uh, which is very strong terms. Uh, And I also say the same when we win, and surely they must have an opinion on it. Uh, Do you think that potentially playing behind closed doors might be easing that? Uh, And as long as he's picking up points, they're happy. My understanding of the situation is that they... Well, they are more than happy with, with Steve yeah. Bruce and, and the job that's been done. If Newcastle are in a in a comfortable position away from relegation as they are at the moment, I know they're thirteenth, but they're not really in too much immediate danger of going to the bottom three. Obviously, there's a lot of games to come in a short space of time, so they could get dragged in there. But I don't see any sort of imminent threat to his to his job in terms of the style of player. That's a slightly different question. As I say, I can't. I I haven't spoken to them specifically to ask that, but. I, and this is this is supposition on my part, but I don't know if they care that much. I, no, I, I wouldn't uh, imagine for, they do as long as the position in the league, right? Yeah, exactly. Particularly Mike yeah. Ashley, who we know still wants to sell and is still trying to sell. If Newcastle are playing god-awful football, but are making sure that they're not going to get relegated in the time it takes them to hope, hopefully offload the club, then I don't think you'll care. As lo- the the, the, the yeah. style of football is irrelevant to him. He attended some games early in the season, hasn't been there as much recently, but I just don't yeah, I just don't think he cares. 
George, the the fact that there isn't fans in the in the ground must be giving Steve Bruce a bit of breathing space. I'd imagine not uh, being able to have the discontent from the fans coming down from the stands is is uh, is something which is of a benefit to him at the minute. Well, maybe. I mean, he doesn't view it that way. That's something I've talked to him about. I mm. mean, you know, he he wants fans there, and he thinks that you know he actually thinks that Newcastle are suffering at home because there's nobody there. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting equation, that, isn't it? If you put fans back in the stadium, are Newcastle's results better? Therefore, he wouldn't be getting the grief. Or if the results stayed the same, what would the response be? Well, you, you know, you'd think that re- the results would be pretty damning. All I'd say about that is that Newcastle's hierarchy have shown in the past that they don't really respond. You know, they're not a knee-jerk, yeah. they're not a knee-jerk hierarchy. In fact, it feels often quite the opposite, that they almost take a perverse pleasure in ignoring what fans say. You know, it's almost like a, you know, whether it's about that or or anything else. Alan Pardew stayed long beyond the point where his relationship with supporters had fractured. Um, He he was able to to kind of recover from that on a game-to-game basis. And perhaps we saw the best of him as a manager in some ways when he was forced to do that he was able to leave of his own volition but his relationship would gone and you, uh, was gone and you knew that one defeat or two defeats would bring it bring it all out again the same applied to Steve McLaren uh, well to John Carver first i mean my god how ruinous oh, that me. nearly yeah. was whilst they waited for Steve McLaren and then they kept faith with Steve McLaren for too long as well so i just don't think that's part of the equation i think the, where the equation has changed is in terms of takeover, and that is the interesting thing for us to consider and to 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 look at. Newcastle value plunges if they go down, and so I think that, and because it's been close in the in inverted commas in the past few months, and that is still ongoing. I think that is the thing that would be in the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, you know, know, Newcastle's position in terms of the bottom three and so on and so forth. But no indication I've had, we've had, when I've spoken to the the manager, to the head coach, I think his relationship with Mike Ashley has been good. He's been been listened to over the summer. Um, They're in a league position that doesn't fill anybody with enthusiasm, but they're okay, they're safe, they've got plenty of teams below them, and so he's ticking boxes. And yeah. that, honestly, that's how I think That's how I think it looks at. Uh, Leon N has asked, what do you think the likelihood is of a new manager once Bruce's contract has expired in 2022? Well, I mean, that just carries on what we were talking about there. I mean, again, the big unponderable is is takeover, and so that's where we are at the minute. That That is still lingering that is still lingering on, and so really all bets are off. I mean, we know that if new owners come in, chances are uh, that there will be a new manager at some point. But again, that's not set in stone, and it's it's not set in stone what would happen if suddenly takeover is off, and it looks like Ashley is staying for the sort of medium term. He'll give he'll give Steve Bruce every option to extend his contract. They like giving people massive contracts, whether it's players or staff. Yeah. Well, just picking up on that, the I think this was almost overlooked at the time, and maybe this is re- reading too much into it. But these things are uh, put out specifically worded. But when Newcastle appointed Steve Bruce, and I've just pulled it up on the website, they said signed an initial three-year contract. So 
what Newcastle have done mm. with a lot of players is that there are options for a lot of players. I'm not saying that definitively there is in Steve Bruce's contract, but that leaves open the possibility that there is, and just it's, it's interesting wording in itself that you one, would put it? it out like that. Uh, okay, so we're going to uh, speak a little bit about uh, style and formation again, as we we touched on earlier on. Andrew C has asked, and I'm I'm interested in this one as well because I I agree with Andrew on this being our best formation. He said, "Why don't we stick with the four two three one that seemed to work briefly pre and post the first lockdown? Uh, it would get the best out of Callum Wilson uh, and Alan St Maximan, and maybe Fraser out wide and Miggy as a number ten. And as long as Hayden is one of the two in midfield, that protects the back four. Andrew C has asked, "Why are we not having another go at that four two three one that seemed to work?" Chris, what do we think about this? Yes, it's an interesting one because just thinking back to the the, the only time they played four two three one for what I remember this season, I think was Burnley, which they won, and then yeah. for Man United he switched to four one four one, so it wasn't even the same formation that he ended up discarding. Um, I like the four two three one, and there I there are issues well, yeah. with it. I think uh, like anything with this team, as we call it. I mean, if you want to call it uh, Rafa Benitez as a short blanket or Steve Bruce saying lack of balance, I think that whatever formation you come up with is going to be deficiencies in the team but I'll, I just think that you get more of Newcastle's attacking players higher up the pitch to support Callum Wilson and defensively even when they play a five at the back they're still conceding a heck of a lot of shots there was the two games where they're, they're shorted up a little bit but I think we can look back to Wolves being poor as well that day and Everton just being awful so they probably contributed to that I, I would like to see something I'd like to see Hayden back in the team regardless but he definitely needs to be one of the two in in that sort of system, maybe alongside Sean Longstaff. I know he didn't play well last time out, but he was okay or pretty decent the, the time before that, and, and see if he can get some sort of form together. But I'd like to, I would, I would prefer to see Sam Maximum back on the left, nominally on the left, but given the opportunity to cut inside as well, and just sort of that fluid sort of system. And that was even Joel Linton started to, to show mm-hmm. uh, green shoots of. Of, of promise in that sort of system so I, did, I would yeah. like to see a return to that and uh, maybe Chelsea this weekend isn't the right time to do that I would suspect that Steve Bruce will try and play five at the back if possible but then uh, the week after I think I'd quite like to see a return to that personally I think that's what we all thought was going to happen this season I mean I certainly did um, that we would see that front front four I've kind of forgotten all the formations that have been played this season. There've been that many of them, but oh, God, you know, yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing is, it's like this constant. So, I mean, Newcastle are a thirteenth-place team. I'm not, and this isn't having a go at us, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna lose. We are gonna lose. We're a mid-table team in the Premier League, so therefore we are gonna lose. And I think we do accept that. As I say, it's it's there's no consistency to losing. It does feel like it's lurching, 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 lurching. I think at some point you 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 find something and then stick with it. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it as well. I I, I look at that formation and it it feels to me like the the most balanced uh, thing we have. The only thing I think it's kind of when it when it opens us up to a little bit is is with uh, Jamal Lewis down that left hand side and some Maximan. Now, if you're playing four at the back, it doesn't give you an awful lot of protection um, if you've got two players flying forward like like they will do. Um, and I think that's maybe what Steve Bruce is thinking is to try and give us that extra body uh, in that half of the field. But like you say, George, I mean, I, I expect us to lose games against Chelsea, against Arsenal, against Tottenham, against teams like this. Those are the games are kind of right off. You know, you go through the fixture list at the start of the season, you go, well, we're going to lose that one, we'll lose that one. And you think, oh, well, if we got a point out of that, or if we get three points out of that, it's a massive bonus. But it's when we play teams like Brighton, Brighton. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we and we lose and the way we lose as well. It's not just the fact we've lost, it's how we've lost. So I wouldn't I mind us yeah. losing if we if we have a go. Do you know what I mean? If we, no, if we actually go out there. Now this might be a simplistic pleb like approach to football because that's what I am. But I, I really don't mind us losing if we have a go. But it's when we lose and we roll over and get our tummies tickled that's when I I start to get annoyed with the situation. No, exactly. It's that you know the, pe- the passivity, if that's the word, against Southampton. I mean, it was just you know it's just jaw droppingly awful that not hanging back and defending for all your life's worth, just hanging back and doing nothing. I mean, that's how it looks. And that's, again, that's exactly what I mean by that sort of lurching. And it's almost like a lurch of attitude sometimes. And players need to know what they're doing and what they're being asked to do. And it can be about attitude as much as anything else. But, you know, Bruce has talked about it. He's talked about that kind of consistency and not not having that and never sort of having it. You know, it is his responsibility. It's, it's definitely a responsibility to the players to kind of seek solutions on the pitch when things aren't going their way. And I don't think that's happening. But they also have to be sent out with the right, with a kind of right attitude as well. I don't think it can be helping the fact that they're kind of veering between systems uh, every other week or so because you want clarity of thought. You know, what do you want as a footballer? You want certainty. You want to know what you're doing. Funnily enough, I, I interviewed Lee Catamull last week um, and he's talking about going into management, someone that Newcastle fans don't need any introduction to. But the one, <laughs> you know, the times he talked about when he was happiest as a player was when he knew exactly what he was doing, what he was supposed to be doing, when he was confident that everybody else on the pitch in in his team knew what their job was. Now, obviously, at Sunderland, that did not happen a lot because you look at the incredible turnover of managers and players. It didn't happen very often. But as a player, you want certainty. All of your life is based around routine, the routine of the training ground, the routine of training, the routine of repetition. Newcastle are not doing, you know, they're not doing that on the pitch. Yeah. They're, they're veering between all these different things. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. David M. has asked, do you think pundits use Newcastle United as clickbait? As fans, we are constantly told Steve Bruce is doing a good job and that our fans are being unrealistic and expect to win the league. Surely these pundits don't believe what they're saying, but they know they'll get a reaction. Are these ridiculous, outdated statements only for retweets and page clicks, i.e. the old talk sport model of punditry? And obviously this week we've had... Uh, Mark Lawrence and Robbie Savage to name, but a few pundits who've came out uh, and and made comments about Newcastle United fans and their expectations. Chris, I know this is something which winds you up as much as it does me. 
Yeah, and just to, to, to plug the actual mailbag which I've written into, which should be out by the time this podcast is out where these questions are put into, I have answered this one in there. But but what annoys me, I, I think there is a certain element to that. I think that they, because of Newcastle's uh, wide reach and because of the interest there is from the fan base in Newcastle, pundits know to a certain extent that they will actually get listened to if if they talk about Newcastle and it, and it will do them well to see Robbie Savage wrote a column the other day and I'm sure it did do very well because it'll have riled a lot of people I, I don't have a problem with pundits having alternative views on Newcastle or con- maybe controversial views if it's quite obvious that they've done the research but a lot of the time that, that that's it's the yeah. ignorance which annoys me and it's the belittling of yeah. Newcastle fans so well, what sort of what do you expect you're 13th in the Premier League well, why would you want to be anywhere else and it's like Robbie Savage is talking about, oh, we, but Leeds are below you in the table. Everyone goes about how Leeds play Leeds, but Leeds have just been promoted this season. Newcastle have been in the Premier League <laughs> yeah, for three and yeah, a half, exactly. three and a bit years. There's no, it's it's seeing that progress over time and and want to why 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 is it such an issue to want to see your team actually play a brand of football that you want to watch rather than spend ninety minutes thinking why the heck have I tuned in for this? I just <laughs> yeah, yeah that, exactly. that 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 ignorance really really annoys me, and I think it's a belittling of Newcastle fans as. The stereotypes out there which are damaging disparaging and quite frankly ludicrous and uh, that that's what, what, what if you get someone like Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville talking about Newcastle I haven't got a problem because I know for a fact that they, they do their research you can tell yes. that they've looked yeah. into things they watch the games regularly they don't just look at the league table and go Newcastle or 13th Newcastle fans should be happy that's for me, the problem with a lot of lazy punditry at the minute it goes just beyond the Newcastle. Is, yeah. I do it for a lot of clubs, and that is that is the the wider issue I think that's out there. Is it simply opinions for money, or do we think it's it's something well, else? Well, I mean that's what their job is, isn't it? So that's yeah. that's fine. I mean, but I mean I also think it's what happens when you're being asked to comment on eighteen clubs, nineteen clubs, whatever, and you're not uh, you're not focusing in on them. If you look at the league table, there's no real problem with Newcastle. It's where they're kind of supposed to be and where they have been over the last 10 years. They see this social media kind of frenzy when it comes to Newcastle fans not being happy. Again, it's this self-perpetuating thing. Why aren't they happy? This is And again, you know, if you see if you see Benitez finishing 13th and everyone's happy, not quite how it was, and then Steve Bruce finishing 13th everyone's angry well what's the difference you know how come how come brucey's takes the rap well you have to do a little bit more digging and you have to look into the context and you have to understand why benitez arrived and why he left and what bruce had when he took over and what he has now and people don't you know they're not they're not equipped they're not equipped to do that you know you can you can you can argue things from all different sides. I would argue that last season, in terms of the position he walked into and um, the difficulties he faced, that in terms of league position, Steve Bruce did a good job, you know, did did a good job in very, very difficult circumstances. If you only look at the performances and you're studying those, those metrics and those figures, you would have to say that Newcastle got away with it. The people whose opinions I care about when it comes to Newcastle are the people who watch Newcastle and people who feel it. Yeah, and exactly. Loads of people, loads of those people are watching the team play week in, week out and are worried that it only ends in one way. You know, that's the thing that annoys that pundits, the punditry are kind of very happy to kind of glance over Newcastle and say, what's the fuss about? This is just Geordie's being 
ridiculous, um, and they don't actually <laughs> look at the they don't actually look at the story behind it, and that's, yeah. that's always been the frustration. Yeah, I think as well with with social media and stuff like that, there is a a tendency to to provoke a pile on, isn't there, when somebody says something bad about Newcastle because it's almost like somebody's called one of your bands a name, isn't it? And you feel that strongly about it that you don't you don't want to let them get away with it. So you come back. I mean, we're great at coming back with all these figures and stats and stuff like that. But if we've learned anything uh, over the last few years, it's figures and stats don't really. Uh, invoke any kind of emotional response in anyone. They are just numbers, and it's sort of feelings that win the day rather than stats and figures. And and what happens is we just pile on and we say to these pundits, "Ah, oh, you're full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. You should try watching Newcastle." Blah 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 blah. Uh, and I think, like you say, George, I think maybe the best response is to go, "Ah, oh, really? Okay," and just ignore them. Um, okay, what is the long term plan for Sean Longstaff, Chris? That's from Nathan D. What do we think? Well, I wrote a piece at the sort of towards the start of the season on Sean Longstaff and, and looking at his situation. And I do think this is an important season for him. His contracts uh, up in twenty twenty two. There have been conversations mm. with him about a new deal. I think that they may start up again soon. But obviously, he came on the scene in, in I think it was twenty eighteen, and for the first oh, and first half twenty nineteen, and for the first half twenty nineteen, he was he was excellent before he got injured and really a breath of fresh air. Excellent. At, being that deep line but progressive midfielder and we just haven't really seen the same Sean Longstaff ever since he hasn't reached those levels again I think that I mean Steve Bruce definitely has, has contemplated playing him as a, as a number 10 a little bit more playing him a little bit higher up the pitch again that depends on what formation Newcastle are playing and we saw that a couple of times last season again unfortunately got injured when he, he did well at, at Bournemouth for the first uh, half an hour and so I think that there is an idea that maybe in the short to medium term his future may lie slightly higher up the pitch given a bit more of a free role uh, not so much of a, a sort of controller midfielder but I do think this is an important season for him and he's going to get plenty of game time just because the volume of matches and obviously Shelby's injured at the moment but I think that for him it's about finding consistency now and showing that he, he can be a Premier League player long term rather than just having had this burst of of, uh, uh, onto the scene and that he does actually have the talent to sustain that Yeah, George, what's our, what's our feelings on Sean Longstaff at the moment? Um, we saw bits and bobs against Everton that sort of suggested he might be coming back to a bit of form but then again, you know, you then watch the next game against Southampton and it's the same with everybody else in the team that you, you know, it's like have these people ever played football before in their lives? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. we've seen what Sean Longstaff is capable of, but we didn't see it for very long. The hype about him seemed premature at the time, and there was been there was then a huge dip, and he hasn't really come close to showing that over a, you know, over a long period. Is there a set plan for him? Well, if there is, I'm not seeing what it is because, you know, you have to play, don't you? Um, exactly. and and then if you are playing you need to then stay in the team for a bit so no I, I can't say that I would personally like to see him and him and Isaac Hayden playing together at the at the base of that midfield if John Joe Shelby's going to be uh, going to be out for a little while then I would like to see the two of them paired up uh, and playing at the base of that midfield like they did under Rafa and, and, and looked like a decent combination uh, but who knows uh, what we're going to get so we'll go with one more question then we'll look to wrap things up uh, this one is based around recruitment from Jacob J and he asks are there plans for more recruitment in January or will that depend on league position will there be money to spend or are loans likely George let's go to you for that one first well, there is money there, and I think the feeling was that um, they didn't do 
all of the th things they could do, or certainly, you know, there was scope for loans. We know that. And they would see what they could then do in January. That option is there. The feeling is, you know, it's pointless just bringing in people for the sake of it. It's about improving mm -hmm. the team. They theoretically did that in the summer. I mean, certainly in terms of the people that have come in, um, if you look at if you look at the quality that's there, um, we haven't seen that on the pitch in terms of results or consistent results or consistent performances. But so it was a bit of a surprise that they didn't bring in more cover. We did think that um, the lack of a striker backup to, to Callum Wilson in particular might be a might be a problem somewhere down the line. Fingers crossed that won't be the case, but um, we will see. Um, so yeah, I mean the scope to do things, but whether they will or not is the unknown part of it. I'm sure Steve Bruce will push them to. I think we said after the summer, okay, having one sensible transfer window is positive. But what they have to do is they have to put two of those together or three of them together. And whether it's in a position of strength or a position of weakness, it's about Newcastle doing the right things at the right time. They did that just about um, mm. in the summer transfer window. You'd like to see them do it again. I think loans will almost certainly play a part, though. Um, they've yeah. got both domestic loans available. Uh, they will. They, they are looking on the continent. They have been scouting a lot. Some of the, the scouts are still not fully back to work because they're not on full-time contracts and I think Paul Baker the mm. uh, head of youth recruitment only came back to work a few weeks ago from being on furlough so they are a little bit behind in that sense but they have long-term targets that they've been working on on the continent but Steve Bruce I'm sure again will will push if possible for Premier League experience certainly if Newcastle are, on, are in any sort of trouble and so having those two domestic loan slots are, are important obviously they try to sign Rob Holding on loan that didn't happen Phil Jones at Man United, we spoke a few weeks ago to Laurie Whitwell, I still think he's someone who, if it could be done, that sort of a player, an experienced defender, I still think yeah. maybe on the radar. They'd like they're, a still defender. A, they're still looking at a box-to-box -box midfielder as well. Yeah, he definitely like that's a long-term thing that he definitely like, and we've yeah. seen those issues this season. And I still think a versatile forward, that may be, if they do bring in someone from abroad, I think it may be that sort of a forward who can play almost anywhere across the front line. I think that might be the sort of thing they'll look to do. Whether they're able to do all that in January, I'd be doubtful of, and it may be more short-term solutions like on, on loan, really. Well, there we go. Thank you very much, chaps, for your insight and all your information. Thank you to all you listeners uh, who sent in questions for Chris's mailbag. Uh, if you want to read Chris's full mailbag article, get yourself on www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And if you're signing up for a subscription, you'll get a special offer there. Thanks again. Uh, lads for joining in George and Chris cheers speak to you soon cheers Taylor speak soon ta-ra nice one see you in a little bit people ta-ra As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10.00. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.